Welcome. We thank you for joining us today. We're happy to have you. We want you guys to know that we consider you a part of our family. So if you want to see what is going on, lots we encourage, of stuff. Yes, <laughs> lots of things are coming out this new year. We encourage you to check out our website and see what's coming up in the events. Also, we encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you know when we have new content coming out. Yeah, today uh, Pastor KJ and Michael are bringing us an experience. Um, and so be expectant today and enjoy the message. All right, have a seat. Um, it is really exciting to be here. I am very expectant for our time together tonight. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how it's so easy to begin by telling a story of like how I've dropped the ball. Like I'm, I'm good at telling stories of how I dropped the ball. I'm good at telling stories of how I failed at things. I'm good at poking fun of who I am and how I talk. I'm really bad at talking about the things I do great. Um, but today I'm going to begin by telling a story of a time I succeeded. Oh, see, that's already hard. So, um, so I'm going to tell a story of how I succeeded during this single time. Um, in fact, it came during a time that I actually felt kind of like I had been an utter failure. I felt like a failure as a human being. I felt like a failure as a father. I felt like a failure across the board. And I was praying for encouragement. Um, a couple days after hitting bottom, I had someone send a text to me. And they said, as a father, I think that you should see this. But the text that it came from, I didn't have a clue who this person had been. And so I was like, oh no, this is just something else I failed in. I'm getting something I should see as a f father, right? Like, that's like someone sh showing up at the door, like, a, you know, I think you should see this. And so that's how I interpreted it in my, my head. And there was this thing that I should click. And it was, so as a father, I should see this and I should click this. And then I thought, so if I click this, so is there a virus behind it or something bad? Like, can I click it? And, but it was like, as a father, I should see this. And I clicked the thing and this video popped up. I have a son who's 15 and he is my heart. And he is sitting on a stool sharing his testimony. And he is sharing his love for Jesus. And then he begins talking about theology and the kingdom. And I was like, man, we are like, who did he get that from? And uh, I was really proud of him. And then he said, I am... I am how I am because my father, he speaks the truth to me. He, and then he started going down the line, bragging about me to the camera. I hadn't been there. Um, but as a father, I should see this. And he went on just sharing his heart of how his father spoke into him. And because of that, he had this heart for the kingdom, this heart for the gospel, this heart for Jesus, and it was incredible. I got done seeing that video, and I lost it. I was so filled as far as encouragement and joy, and, 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 and like hearing someone 
especially him, shared the truth of who he saw me as was incredible. I was filled. It is easy to always talk about how to improve or do things better. It's easy to talk about things that, 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 that I can grow in or places that, you know what I'm saying? And it's easy to do sermons that are filled like that. But to be able to have the honor to preach a sermon that's just filled as far as encouragement and joy and the heart of the Father that he has for you is the honor that I have today. Because that's John 17. It isn't how to improve. It's not how to do something better. It isn't something to change. You get to hear Jesus brag on you to the Father. It's very similar to how Zion talked about who I was to him. And be able to observe that was brilliant. The disciples had the same experience in John chapter 17. Our church has been doing a sermon series on the gospel of John since Easter. It began by John being really poetic and brilliant in the beginning, saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to like poetically spell out that although he was here in the world, he hadn't been of it. He was separate from it. He was sanctified, separate, holy. Like, and, and John then goes in and he paints all these pictures. And the gospel of John is called the gospel of signs and the book of signs. And as he paints these pictures of Jesus Christ being prophet, priest, and king, and he brings you to this place of going, oh my gosh, he's incredible. And all of these things are shimmering and shining, and you've, you've seen all these brilliant things. And then John chapter 17 happens. And the thing that's fun, I'm sorry, this is just popping. Um, it's just going to how it's going to be this whole time. I'm sorry. So you're just going to have to hang in there. All right. So um, there are all these things that happen. The thing that's so cool about John chapter 17, though, is, is that John himself, he gets out of the way. He, he doesn't actually say anything. But before this, the first 16 chapters in the book of John, like, John is brilliant. He's poetic. His theology is incredible. Like, who he is from a, a firsthand experienced person of Jesus himself is brilliant. And then he brings you to chapter 17 as if to say, see, everything I've told you is true. And so I'm trying to set the table here. This is the thing I'm doing, is I'm setting this table. And I hope that our experience today is just simply being able to sit at it and eat, okay? Um, so the table is set as simply, all of John is bringing us to this point. Everything that you have heard up until this point is somehow said in chapter 17. Um, so if... if if you have not heard our sermon series on the book of John, you need to go back and play every single episode or sermon or whatever episode. I've been playing too much TV. Um, you gotta go back and play them all. And, and it'll bring you to this point that you'll go, oh. So the table is set. John has brought us to this point that Jesus is praying to the Father so that his disciples overhear him. 
the 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 conversation that is happening though I'm going to set the context just a bit it began in chapter 14 so everything from chapter 14 all the way through the end of 17 is a part of the same conversation that is happening so it isn't in these these hunks of sermons it's more of this whole thing is all balled up together it's like a summary and Jesus is bringing everything all together and at the end of it he brings his eyes to heaven and he's like all right it's time to pray this prayer okay so so as i've talked about in the past like there are passages in the bible that are very academic and they should be like that they should be picked apart and studied and it's fun there are passages that are actually supposed to be sung like they are, are composed to be sung. They are songs that people should sing. There are passages that are prayers that should be prayed. There are passages that should simply be heard and absorbed. John chapter 17 should be heard and absorbed because it's for you to hear. So how things are going to happen is a bit out of the ordinary for tonight. The goal I have is for you to simply hear the prayer of Jesus and to absorb it. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and picture Jesus saying these things. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you've given me. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew certainly that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now but I say these things while I'm still in the world 
so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. So in this prayer of Jesus, in John chapter 17, I'm only going to be covering the first two parts of it. Pastor Allen in the upcoming sermon is going to be covering the third part. The first two parts, he's praying for himself, and then he's praying for those who are following him. And so I want to build a bit of context here for us to go forward and experience this passage. So I said experience this passage because very often our goal is to apply a passage. How, how do I apply this? And tell me the application. And I, I tr truly think it isn't about application, it's about identification. How do I identify in this passage? And I don't think it's about application, I think it's about participation. How do I participate in this passage? How do I identify and how do I participate? Because as you possibly have heard, as this passage had been prayed, some of the vocabulary that had been spoken is heavy in the vocabulary that John has presented in the first 16 chapters. In fact, it's kind of almost as if he had heard this prayer before he composed the Gospel of John. Um, think about it. So John is a disciple of Jesus. And so he had been in the place that, that, that this prayer had been prayed by God himself. He had heard it as if this is the centerpiece of the goal that he was hoping to point at, as if by the time you got here, as the gospel experiencer that he is creating, that you would see him clearly. And so it's as if the first 16 chapters, his goal had bring, been to bring you to the point of this prayer. So this prayer itself is pointing back to the beginning. So it's, it's, it's pointing back, but also how Jesus is praying, it's also pointing forward. There's this goal, there's this forward trajectory happening. So there's this horizontal plane of things. He's talking about the things that had been in the place he had been before time had begun. And he also is pointing forward in this idea of blessing his disciples and those that follow him. And he's praying up towards heaven. He's praying towards the Father. So there's this vertical plane that is happening. And furthermore, he's saying he's praying it so his disciples can experience the fullness of his joy. So it's like the whole point of this prayer is that the disciples get to hear Jesus praying to his Father, bragging on their behalf that they are ready and so is he. There are people who call this prayer a conjunction of the gospel. It's where everything collides and turns the corner forward to the crucifixion. But in the crucifixion, there's this empowerment moment for the disciples to actually be as he is. 
So there's that taking place. There are people who say that this prayer is the prayer that was prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can that be proven? I don't know. There are people that say this prayer is the prayer that was prayed in the upper the upper room. Uh, there's a whole bunch of passages that had been taught about before this that were taking place in the upper room. There's this idea that the disciples had an upper room that they would often get together to pray. The the upper room in the book of Acts chapter 2. And this brings us something fun too, is that the book of Acts hasn't happened yet. Um, And so thinking about the disciples who are there in this space, hearing this prayer, are the people who actually are participating in Acts chapter 2. It's their stories are taking place in Acts chapter 2. This hasn't happened yet. And Jesus is actually almost praying these very things into fruition. So, you are in this place. John's 16 chapters is bringing you here. The crucifixion hasn't happened yet. Jesus is bringing his disciples, and he prays this prayer so that they can overhear it and experience the fullness of his joy. So, it's time to go back back and slowly unpack it, okay? So pay attention beyond the place that you had been paying attention before. Uh, Because I'm going to unpack it just a little hunk by little hunk by hunk because our goal is to actually soak it in, all right? So close your eyes and invite God to speak. Father, The hour has come. Glorify your son. For you granted him all authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. If I am diving into this prayer and experiencing this prayer, there's a couple of things that shimmer um, that I'm hoping um, kind of I am absorbing. First of all, is this idea of eternity um, and how Jesus is praying to the Father and, and talks about this is eternal life. To know you is eternal life. There's something in that I would probably circle because there isn't a time period that's talked about here. Like, here's eternal. How do I gain? It's simply to know the Father is eternal. Uh, That there's questions that I begin to think about is simply, if I am in the Father and the Father is in me, am I in eternity? That's, that seems to be this pattern that, that John points at and that Jesus is pointing at. To know the Father is eternal life. 
What does that mean? I also am going to circle things like the quantity of times that he says glorify and how he uses glory. Think about this passage in the prayer that Jesus' eyes are pointed towards heaven and he says, glorify me so that I may be with you again. And then he talks about like it had been before the creation of the earth. Bring me back there. Because then it brings us to this place of like the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus beyond the cross is simply he lowered himself from glory. That he became incarnate in human skin, flesh, and bone, and blood, and had feet and hands. And do you know what I mean? It's really interesting. There's this lowering that takes place, and there's this prayer that he is glorified. But then he talks about that he had been glorifying the Father. What is it to glorify? In, in Hebrew, the term to glorify is to be an example of. Um, it's to be an emblem, um, to be an image of. And, and throughout the Gospel of John, there's this goal of Jesus to say and to be, I am the image of the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen him. Like, this is a really big part of his goal. In this prayer of Jesus, he's proclaiming, I've done just that. And those who have followed have seen you. Glorify me. They've seen you. To see you is to be eternal. There's a really beautiful picture that is being placed here. But the passage just is not about Jesus praying for himself and talking about the glorification of himself and the Father. It goes on to point towards the disciples because that's kind of the goal. So here it is. I have revealed you to those whom you've given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all that you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. 
None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. If I'm a disciple and I'm there in his space, as he goes into this prayer, there is something really beautiful that happens. Because up until this point, I'm being taught of things I should do. I'm being taught to follow. I'm being taught how to pray. I'm being taught um, how to be incredible. I'm being taught to heal. I'm being taught. I'm being taught. But there's this tone of this prayer that, 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 that Jesus is praying to the Father and said, I am praying for the disciples. I, I'm setting them apart from everyone else. I don't actually pray for everyone else at this point. I'm just praying for them because they have heard the things that I've said and they followed me. They've heard the truth of the things that I've spoken and they believe it. They know that I come from you. They're all in. They're following me. It's, it's kind of like he's saying, they're doing it, Father. <laughs> like the thing that, that, that I came to do, the thing that I, I tried to inspire, the things that I tried to teach, the things that, that it, they get it. Um, I don't even know why. I'm crying. Um, but like that idea of like, they get it. They understand. Their eyes see. Their ears are hearing. They're doing it. I'm going to send them out, and they are going to succeed. Like, there hadn't been this apprehensive tone in the heart of God before his crucifixion about his disciples. This is the thing that this passage is teaching me, is there was confidence that Jesus had in his disciples. They're doing it. I'm proud of them. They heard. They believed. They understand. They get it. And he says, don't pull them out. Don't separate them out. In fact, keep them here, right? Like, I'm not praying that you bring them home. But protect them because I know what they're going to go through, right? I know what they're going to go through because just as I am in you and you are in me, they are in me and I am in them and they are in you, and everyone hates them for it. Right? Like, this is what's happening, is there is this compassionate prayer of Jesus for the followers because he sees them clearly as he is. And there's this really beautiful thing that is going on that it's like, they are going to do it. The thing I set out to do, the kingdom of God I've, I've set down to proclaim, the thing I'm trying to sanctify, the thing I'm, it's happening. They're the ones. I'm really proud of them. What would that be like to be in that spot after following 
for years, trying the best you could to do the best you can and struggling and you know what I mean? And then to hear, you get it. You're doing it. It's like those times that you need encouragement and joy and don't tell me something else I can do better, right? This is what Jesus is doing. I'm saying these prayers in behalf that my disciples can experience the fullness of my joy. My joy is them. That is incredible at a time like this. But the passage doesn't end here. The prayer is about identification. It's about participation. And it goes on separating the disciples out a bit more. So, so I want to invite you to close your eyes again and hear this final segment. I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What does sanctify mean? If I'm hearing this prayer, that's something I'm going to circle again because I'm it's saying like like sanctify them. I sanct I'm sanctifying so that they can be sanctified. It's it's the idea of being set apart. It's it's they're different. They are different. And in this, this part of the prayer that Jesus is, is praying for his disciples, it's kind of almost like he's telling God over and over, whoa, they're different, Father. Like, they aren't like everybody else. They're different, just as I'm different. It's, it's pretty cool, you know, like, there's this conversation happening and there's this, this bringing alongside of and it's like they get it. We're in this together and, and that they have bought in and they are being sanctified. They're being separated out. And because they're being separated out, think about how John began his gospel. If you have time at home, and I'm sure you do, um, go home, pull up this prayer and then pull up John 1. Because the same vocabulary that Jesus is talking about, I have given them the word and they accepted it. And, and the, the people hate them because of that. And they aren't of this world, although they are in it. It is the same vocabulary that John begins the whole gospel in saying, here's who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then it goes on to say about how although he came into the world, he was not of the world. And here is Jesus talking about his disciples almost shooting John chapter 1 up to heaven and saying they have been given the word and they are not of the world, but they're in it. They've been separated from it, just like I've been separated from it. I don't belong here and they don't either. Like, like what is happening in this prayer as he is about to go into glory, to the place where he began, but he's continuing to be in the place that he is through his disciples who carry his word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And they believe it as truth. And in this truth was 100% confidence that Jesus had in the followers that he had called that they get it and can carry the light of the world to all who need it. There was no apprehension. There wasn't confusion. This wasn't plan B for Jesus. The followers of Jesus was plan A all along. And John knew that from the beginning, but knew that he had to convince you of that, that this is not plan B, this is plan A, and you get it. This prayer is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus because who he is as priest, prophet, and king is all conjunctioning here at the center of 17 as he is giving over his authority, his power, his identity, his kingdom to those who get it as if the gospel of John is about to start over all again after the crucifixion, but it's the story of the book of Acts and the disciples as the book of signs. What would it be like to be able to sit in that space to hear the prayer of Jesus? What would it be as if he was saying those things about you to the Father? What would it feel to be able to see those things as true? The heart of Jesus for this prayer had been to pray it. So the disciples are going to hear it and experience the fullness of encouragement and joy and empowerment for the things that are to come. That was the point of all of 17. I believe that these are times that joy and encouragement are really needed. I believe that these are the times that our hearts are begging to be seen by God and by each other. I believe it's okay to be human and say, I need joy and encouragement today. I'm tired of striving. My prayer is the same as the prayer of Jesus, that you may see how he sees you. I pray that you may see that he is proud of you, 
I pray that you may see that he takes joy in you. I pray that you may see that he has hope in you. I pray that you may see that you are plan A, that it isn't plan B, C, D, or F, X, Y, and Z. Where you are is plan A. I pray that you may see grace, compassion, love, joy surrounding you. I pray that you may be filled with the Spirit and that He holds you close and that you may be comforted. I pray that John has brought you on this journey for a profound reason and that that you're able to see the conjunction of things, that this is not about applying this to become a better person. It's not about application. It's about identification. Who do you identify as, as a son and daughter of God? It isn't about application. It's about participation. How do you participate as a disciple of Jesus? Do you participate? Do you identify? Do you find joy? Do you find comfort? Do you find grace? Do you hear his voice? Are you in the garden? Because the theme of the gospel of John is bringing us back to the garden. And it isn't any coincidence that this is the place that the prayer is happening because this is our home. So wherever you are at after this incredible message, um, if something has sparked in you, inspired you, um, or if you're, you need prayer, we are here. We want to talk to you, pray for you. You can go onto our website, click the chat button, um, and there is somebody there always um, to talk with you, pray for you. Um, but we are here for you. We hope you have a great week. Bye.